Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, funny stuff, and the Steinbockers. <laughs> oh my god, we have we're we're a little family unit now. We're a family unit. We're the Steinbockers. Don't I we have another like, name? I mean, no. Steinbocker is the best one, and one. Uh, I think it sounds like a sitcom that we should try to shop around as a pilot. What do you think? Like one of those late night sitcoms. It's the Steinbockers. And like the cheesy music in the background. Like, yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. That is us. Anyway, yes, Christine Steimer is also here. Andrea Renee was smart and she took a few days off because we've been to GDC. We've been to PAX East back to back. We're all a little dead inside. Steimer is ailed. She has some weird disease called a cold. Some weird disease called a very minor cold, which... This is not as bad by any means. This is maybe 10% of the ear infection of last year. So oh, this, is, this is not bad. It's just annoying. Well, somewhat. A lot of people actually got sick at PAX East this year. I heard the flu is making its way around. You so. know what? As much as I love our community, I'm going to blame the meet and greet. No, don't blame them. Blame someone I have else to, on the show floor. Because it's the only time that I shook hands. Listen, how do you know someone didn't, like, hack in front of you and you breathed in their, their air particles and that's how you got sick? I don't. At, like, on, on the show floor. I don't. I don't know that. Well. It's I'd just that was blame. the most people I was around. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. So, Simon is slightly ill, but she's not that bad. Have you yeah. taken any Sudafed? That's the real question. Pseudo, pseudo, Sudafed. <laughs> Put it in oh, my tum tum tum. Oh, um, my God. No, I haven't. Not yet. Uh, if I had to travel or anything, I would, but right now I'm mostly just taking as many leafy greens as possible to try mm. and like, you know, let my body naturally kick this thing's ass and yeah, have it be on its merry way here shortly. Like what's a leafy green? Kale, spinach. Oh, oh, so the edible shit. Like the, <laughs> yes, uh, like, like actual, like, ve- like vegetables. <laughs> like, I don't know if you're finding some miracle pill that's oh. just full of like ground up plant matter and you're consuming it. Uh, I mean, a smoothie is essentially ground up plant matter and that's God what I had today. You, you and so. your logic, Simon, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here with your intelligence. No. So yes, um, we are here. We are alive ish, but we are going to bring you the best episode of What's Good Games that we possibly can. Just a few announcements slash housekeeping. <laughs> First of all, we're both wearing Invisalign, so yeah. don't judge us. I typically don't wear mine while we're recording the show, but I was telling Steimer before we started shooting, I got new attachments this week. And for those of you who don't know, attachments, are they cement? Like, what? what is it they put They're on definitely not cement. Um, not cement. Like, the <laughs> teeth cement. They Yeah, they're, they're adhered with some sort of glue i don't actually know yeah. how they get them on there they're but like they're, little, they're a sharp they're like a little sharp nubbin on your yeah teeth. 
And I have, so I have new sharp nubbins on my teeth. And if I don't wear my Invisalign, it just like slashes the inside of my mouth. So I have to wear the trays. So my mouth is protected. Well, not only that, we we record this show for almost two hours and that's the whole time that you should, you know, so you wouldn't be able to eat anything if you didn't wear them during the show. And I wouldn't have a, well, I was going to say I wouldn't have a mouth by the time got done talking after two hours. I'd be like a zombie, like the zombie, like the zombie in Resident Evil 2 remake, like one of the first ones you find and you like turn its head and its whole like jaw just falls off. Yeah. Gross. That would totally be me. Okay, that's really not a big announcement, but I just threw that in there. So sorry if, if I sound a little, a little, what's the word? We, we, you know, Invisalign-y. it makes you a little, a little bit lispy. A little, I know, but I can't help it. It's fine. Hopefully. No, I mean, yeah, we're fine. It's fine. Okay, everything's fine. Don't Moving on. Us. Next thing. Moving on. We are on GameStop TV. That's Hell right, yeah, ladies we are. and gentlemen. Yeah. If you go into your local GameStop, you will find Andrea Steimer and myself on the television talking about games that we are excited about that are coming in April. Steimer talked about Ace Attorney. I talked about Days Gone. Andrea talked about Mortal Kombat. And so this is a really new, exciting opportunity for us. And hopefully you will stop by in the months to come and look for our faces talking about the video games and send us pictures it's fun to see them yes next pax east was amazing holy crap it's i feel like we talked about pax east for a very long time but now it has come and it has gone and we are gosh a week almost a week post pax yeah i left a week ago today for boston yeah yeah that's true so did i so thanks to everyone who came to our panel, our D&D session, and of course our meetup. Um, our panel is uploaded to whatever podcast platform you would like to listen to it on. We uploaded Probably it the one that ago. you're listening to this yeah, show. Yeah, <laughs> pro- probably. That's a safe bet. Um, and just a huge thank you again to Craig and Tyler who helped us with our D&D session on Friday. That was Friday. so much fun. Oh my God, I'm being nasty the half orc and now I have assless chaps for the next D&D session. That's a Hell long story. Yeah. Maybe I'll tell you about it some other day. And of course, everyone who came to our meetup, again, it, the the turnout was, I don't think we were quite expecting that m- many people. And it was just really awesome to see all of you shake your hands. Samuel would like to blame me for getting her sick. But I mean. But I, out of like, only you only were able to get me sick because there were so many of you and because you were all so lovely. That is a nice positive you. spin. There you go. Look, look at you, little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> yeah. That was fucking incredible. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) So yeah, huge thank you to everyone who made that really special for us. It was definitely unforgettable. And now that we're in April, that means we have new Patreon changes that are going into effect. So if you are part of our Epic membership, which is the $5 tier, that means you get an ad-free podcast. Also, as part of our new show routine, we're going to be giving shout-outs to new patrons and our Patreon producers. Speaking of... This week, we want to give a huge shout out to our Patreon producers, Lincoln Davis, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris, oh God, Atie, you can just, yeah, Atie, Atie, just make it sound like you, make it what it is, yeah, we never promise to pronounce your name correctly, and welcome new patrons, sketch artist, Sean Hanra, Conrad Owens, James Warwick, Matt Boche, Dylan Blank, Craves Snow, me too, Marilyn Lira, Adam Zimmerman, Riley Donahoe, Stephen Hooker, and one of the badasses names ever, Leonardo Alberto Talavera Barocchio. Wow. Also, hi, Craves Snow. Hi, that was somebody that used to uh, be part of my Twitch chat once upon a time. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Before we get into the news, we'd like to thank our sponsors, HoneyBook and Calm, for supporting the show. And first up, we've got details about a special offer from HoneyBook. If you have a great idea for a business, what's holding you back? If the thought of all of that admin work is overwhelming, HoneyBook is here to help you get your plan off the ground. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you control your client communication, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. If you're a creative freelancer or small business owner, HoneyBook helps you stay organized with custom templates and automation tools. You can even use HoneyBook to consolidate services you already use, like QuickBooks, Google Suite, and MailChimp. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals, and other entrepreneurs have saved hundreds of thousands of of hours a year. It's your business just better with HoneyBook. So Andrea's talked about her experience with HoneyBook in the past and how their customer service is top-notch, and I would have to agree with that. She and I have eyes over the What's Good Games email inbox, and I feel like every time I was going in there, they were reaching out and being like, hey, how can we help you? And Andrea would respond with something like, okay, let us help you with this. So that is definitely a plus because running a business is hard, ladies and gentlemen. I have started a few in my day, and there's so much admin, paperwork, contracts, proposals, all of these things that you you have to do, and it's a real pain in the butt. So to have someone help you to do this, it's definitely worth giving it a shot. So right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off of your first year with promo code What's Good. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code What's Good for 50% off of your first year. Get paid faster and work smarter with HoneyBook.com, promo code What's Good. All right, Simon, let's get into the news. Do you want oh to take boy. this first one? Um, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things that happened, obviously, while we were at PAX was that uh, I was like, Borderlands had a panel. Well, technically, it wasn't Borderlands. It was Gearbox had a panel. Uh, they had a magic show. They they did have mostly a magic show, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. It was a little weird, their whole panel, but... Um, I think they did good, right? Considering all the technical hiccups, they did a good job at keeping the audience engaged. It but, was just yeah. weird, but you know, whatever. It's fine. It happened. It's over. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and now they are releasing more information about Borderlands 3, which they revealed at that panel, namely a release date. Oh my so, goodness. Borderlands 3 is coming September 13th, exclusive to Epic Game Store on PC. Lol. Uh, I don't know why I rolled it up. But. <laughs> so, like I just said, uh, Borderlands 3 is coming to PlayStation 4, PC, and Xbox One September 13th. And, you know, PC version, you will only be able to get it on the Epic's Game Store until April 2020. So, Six that's actually, exclusive. yeah, I'm like, it's not terrible, but no. whatever. Um, so, they also have a new trailer for Borderlands 3 today. Or not today, because this is Friday when this show goes up. That's true. Um, that highlights the four new playable vault hunters and the evil duo they'll go up against. The Calypso twins. Dun-dun. Sorry, I like, ooh, spooky. <laughs> is available above. <laughs> More details about the game are promised on May 1st when Gearbox will hold a gameplay reveal event live stream. Uh, so here are the four new vault hunters. Moe's as the gunner. Uh, when Moe's needs a backup, she digistructs her mech iron bear for a sucker punch of additional firepower. There's Amara as the siren, a confident, capable brawler with the ability to summon 
to summon ethereal fists. Amara uses her siren powers to smash her enemies. That sounds like you. You like to smash yeah, people. Yeah, I do. Wait. FL4K as the beast master. FL4K lives for the hunt. So do the loyal beasts that follow their master's every command. Their preferred prey? Unsuspecting bandits. Those poor suckers. That's going to be me. Uh, <laughs> Zane as the operative. Specializing in battlefield gadgetry, Zane is extremely proficient at slipping into combat, creating chaos, and sneaking back out as if he were never there. Uh, Gearbox also teased new worlds beyond Pandora where players can loot for the series trademark bazillions of guns, including mm-hmm. firearms with self-propelling bullet shields, rifles that spawn volcanoes, yes. and guns that grow legs, hunt down yes. targets, and verbally insult them. Oh my ah, god, yes. so good. A new leveling syncing system will also make playing cooperatively with friends regardless of your story experience progression according to a fact sheet. Wait, that sounded, that was a weird sentence to have read. I don't yeah. think it made grammatical sense, but hopefully you get the idea. <laughs> I did read that as, as written, so. You did, that wasn't you. I don't know what that's all about. Um, 2K and Gearbox have four editions of Borderlands 3 coming this fall, ranging from the standard $59.99 to $249.99. Yeah, girl. You couldn't just go $250. That's the one thing I find really weird about retail, is that's always like, 99 it's not quite that other price and you're like but yeah. it is i wonder why that is i wonder I'm if sure it's there's still there's there's been it. i mean there's been research done that people are like oh it's not that expensive but like, couldn't you just bump it up to 250.99 that would be it no people like the 99.99 like the yeah, like the 9.99 you know 99, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah they like not that yet. they're like they love that mm-hmm. shit you eat it up don't you yes you do Okay, so you can just buy the game, obviously. Or you can buy the Deluxe Edition, which includes some digital bonus content, like the Mm -hmm. Retro Cosmetic Pack, Neon Cosmetic Pack, Gearbox Cosmetic Pack, Toy Box Weapon Pack, woohoo, and XP and Loop Drop Boost Mods. The Super Deluxe Edition includes all that shit. And then also Borderlands 3 Season Pass, which includes four campaign DLC packs, including new stories, missions, and challenges, and the Butt Stallion Weapon Skin. Come on, who doesn't want that? Finally, the big boy, the Diamond Loot Chest Collector's Edition, <laughs> uh, includes a Diamond Loot Chest replica, Borderlands 3 character figurines. It says times 10. I don't know if that means there's 10 figurines. Possibly. It kind of sounds like um, it, right? Yeah. Uh, including four new oh. hunters, the Clips of Twins, other characters from the Borderlands universe. Yes. So 10 figurines. Approximately, uh, approximately three. Yeah. yeah approximately three, three inches, inches tall. I'm getting there, Brittany. I know it's a lot to read. <laughs> I didn't know if you, I'm trying to help you, cause I know, I know you, I, I, I put so much in here. You did. You poured your soul into this. Uh, anyways. <laughs> it's my life's finest work. Sanctuary 3 <laughs> snap model, vault key keychains. You get four of those, you know, if you got three friends who love Borderlands. Uh, cloth galaxy map, character art lithographs. You get five of those, um, which are the new vault hunters and the Clipso twins. Wait, that doesn't, yeah, okay, the Clipso twins must be on one. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, Borderlands 3 steelbook case. So if you really like those physical edition things, like I know that you do, Brittany, are you going to get the big, big boy 250? I want to, but here's the thing, Simer. You don't have any friends that want those keychains? I mean, I wasn't going to go there, <laughs> but <laughs> you're not getting one of them now. Oh, but no. I don't have, I don't have the room anymore. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've run out of room. All of my, my game rooms, I just run, I have to buy more shelves if I'm going to make this happen. I, even my poor beloved You're Resident Evil 2. You're going to have to buy another house. <laughs> I know. So I keep trying to tell my husband, but he's not hearing it. 
but even my beloved Resident Evil 2 Collector's Edition is just still, like, on my desk, and it doesn't have a home. So I'm probably going to have to boot something out to make room for it. But Yeah, you just you know. need to, like, you need to take one away and put one in. That's... <laughs> Is that what she said? I don't know. It sounds a little weird. But, yeah, you yeah. know, like, it's like your closet. You need to, like, remove an article of clothing and then replace it with something else. You've seen my closet. I have a very hard time doing that. That is true. Uh, I mean, this is this is cool. I mean, okay. So what happened on April Fool's Day was somehow the Borderlands Twitter account, or is it Gearbox, one or the other, tweeted out the uh, release date on April Fool's Day. And then they promptly deleted it. But not before, obviously, people had uh, screenshotted it. So everyone's like, is this actually come coming out? And it is. Um, I, I mean, it's not surprising that this is coming out this year. I think it needed to come out this year. Oh, this yeah. Game's- if it wasn't coming out this year, I'd be like, why are you talking about it? Exactly. Yeah. It's been in development for how many years now? Five? Yeah, a I bit. Mean, it's been there no. for a bit. Yeah. It's is like it five, five years? It's, it's I don't roughly- remember. I think they said that, yeah. I don't know where time is going. Yeah, so it wouldn't make sense for them to announce this in the fashion they did. Honestly, even the way they announced this just didn't make a lot of sense to me. They're like, okay, here's an announcement for the panel. And the panel is like, okay, here's a reveal trailer. Now stay tuned for the release date. Like five days later. Yeah. And then here's the Vault Hunters. Yeah. And And now now, isn't there another? And now May 1st, which is a month away, um, they'll have a gameplay reveal event. And I'm like... Why are you doing this? Yeah, that to me is the only (laughs) weird part. Yeah. Because it just feels, the timing feels bizarre. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I, I don't know. That's, I just feel a little bit odd about it in that sense, but I mean, I, I imagine I'll still have fun with this game, so. Oh yeah. Now, do you think this game has potential for game of the year in, in one of the categories? Or do you think it could? Obviously no one's played it yet, but. I have no idea. It's going to depend on everything else I think that comes out this year. Um, because obviously it's all contextual. Like, you you can't tell, I can't say whether or not this is going to be one of the best games of the year if I don't know what all of the games of the year are. Right. Well, I, I ask that because I know, um, and we'll talk about this in the next story, but a lot of folks were banking on a game like Anthem being Mm. game of the year, right? And so I think games that people had planned on or maybe are planning on shining through just are falling a little short. And even the division two, while really great, um, can you consider that to be a game of the year? So like Andrea was saying, Possibly. I think if like an overwatch managed to win game of the year one year, yeah, it could it like, <laughs> like and not to say that over, I'm not trying to shade overwatch. Obviously it's a great game, but it's just not a game I would have normally thought of as a game of the year contender. Mm-hmm. Um, just given its genre and style, like, not something that typically would be picked by critics. Um, but so in that sense, I think it can be anybody's game. It just sort of depends on the level Literally. of polish, the level of fun, you know. Resident um, Evil 2, let's go! Oh my god. No, but possibly. What's that look for? Possibly, but no. Listen, you and I made a deal. You gotta play I did. So scary. I wore those shoes. They were great. Yeah, so I, we made a deal. Did we talk about this yet on the show? I don't know if we talked about it on the show. We talked oh, about it on I did. Twitter. I talked about it. I talked about it last episode with okay. Marissa and Andrea. So everyone's very well aware of this bargain I made with you. Um, some other tidbits about Borderlands 3 is that it will feature online and two-player split-screen co-op, which is awesome. The split-screen co-op is on Xbox One and PS4. PC was not mentioned in that. So I'm assuming that means no split-screen on PC. I mean, that kind of makes sense. 
Yeah. I've done a few games that are split screen on PC and it works out, but usually the monitors are so small it's like Yeah, unless you have one of those like really big, beautiful widescreen monitors. Ooh, those look uh, one day I want one of those. Yes, well maybe. Maybe we can work out another deal. Oh my god. I'm just no. I'm gonna play scary games for the rest of my life and you're gonna furnish my life. It's I'm like a weird sugar that. daddy situation where you're, you're just paying for everything and I'm just crying all the time. Amazing. Um no, that will not be your future, don't worry. Thank also god. you can toggle shared loot and how you wanna work that, which is a really important thing because in a game like this where you have a bazillion guns, if you play a game, I get frustrated when I play games with people and they just hog all the loot. I'm like, no, you don't even use that gun. Why are you taking it? So yeah. you can turn that off. Good. And this, which will be nice. And also I have here on one of the pre-order pages, Xbox has listed cross-platform co-op as a feature. So obviously that probably means Xbox and PC, yeah. PS4 and PC, but not much more than that, ladies and gentlemen. Not yet. We're not quite there in uh, gaming's life cycle. I am, anyway, just super-duper excited. We talked a little bit about Borderlands on our um, PAX East panel that, again, you can listen to whenever you're done with this show. But, yeah, I'm really excited for it. I don't think they need to do anything much different. I hope it has the same quirkiness and same sense of humor. And just better quality of life improvement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, of course, the Game of the Year edition is out. Borderlands Game of the Year edition is out today on PS4, Xbox One, PC, and the Borderlands Handsome Collection got the Ultra HD Texture Pack. So there you go. All right, Woo. Simer. Yeah. Fucking strap in. I know, I wrote <laughs> oh, well. I, I literally have that in our show notes because we are going to talk about this or try to talk, try to break down this piece from Jason Schreier about how BioWare's Anthem went wrong. Before we do, I feel like I should minorly disclaim uh, yeah. once upon a time I did work at EA. I did work technically for Bioware. It wasn't Bioware Edmonton. Um, it was by a, a branch of Bioware that no longer exists. Um, it was called Bioware Social, but, uh, and we made obviously social games, but uh, I just wanted to, when we talk about this, I just felt like I should, you know, disclose that. That's a very good thing to do, Steimer. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. All right. So Jason Schreier posted this article yesterday, which would have been April 2nd on Kotaku. I highly encourage you to give it a read. It took me about an hour to get through the whole thing. Uh, so obviously we can't recount all of that during this, but we'll kind of, we'll, we'll dive into our thoughts and kind of give you a brief Give overview. you a little bit of a, a, a little TLDR. Yeah. So here I have the first few paragraphs that we'll go through that kind of sets the tone for this, the piece. Of this entirety. Okay. This account, this is Jason's piece. This account of Anthem's development based on interviews with 19 people who either worked on the game or adjacent to it, all of whom were granted anonymity. Did I say that right? Anonymity. Anonymity. I hate that word. It's like rural. Because they were not authorized to talk about Anthem's development is a story of indecision and mismanagement. It's a story of technical failings as EA's Frostbite engine continued to make life miserable for many of BioWare's developers and understaffed departments struggled to serve their team's needs. It's a story of two studios, one in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and another in Austin, Texas, that grew resentful toward one another thanks to a tense, lopsided relationship. It's a story of a video game that was in development for nearly seven years but didn't enter production until the final 18 months thanks to big narrative reboots, major design overhauls, and a leadership team said to be unable to provide a consistent vision and unwilling to listen to feedback. Perhaps most alarming is a story about a studio in crisis. 
Dozens of developers, many of them decade-long veterans, have left Bioware over the past two years. Some who have worked at Bioware's longest-running office in Edmonton talk about depression and anxiety. Many say they or their co-workers had to take a had to take stress leave, a doctor-mandated period of weeks or even months' worth of vacation for their mental health. One former Bioware developer told me that people would frequently find a private room in the office, shut the door, and just cry. Quote, people were so angry and sad all the time, they said. Said another, quote, depression and anxiety are an epidemic within Bioware. Then another quote from someone. I actually cannot count the amount of stress casualties we had on Mass Effect Andromeda or Anthem, said a third former Bioware developer in an email. A stress casualty at Bioware means someone had such a mental breakdown from the stress, they're just gone for one, gone for one to three months. Some come back, some don't. And then jumping ahead a little bit, and this kind of sets the the main foundation here. Many at the company now grumble that the success of 2014's Dragon Age Inquisition was one of the worst things that could have happened to them. The third Dragon Age, which won Game of the Year at the 2014 Game Awards, was the result of a brutal production process plagued by indecision and technical challenges. It was mostly built over the course of its final year, which led to lengthy crunch hours and lots of exhaustion. Quote, some of the people in Edmonton were so burnt out, said one former Bioware developer. They were like, we needed Dragon Age Inquisition to fail in order for people to realize that this isn't the right way to make games. Wolf. So yeah. Um, obviously there's a lot to unpack. This is, I mean, this is just like a tidbit of all this of is the, the, intro. The, the shit that's in here. Um, but, and the, I think the worst part about it to me is that I don't find it surprising. And I also don't think it's a unique problem to Bioware. Oh, and no. so I think that's honestly the more disturbing implications is not that, you know, this is happening at a studio. It's like, this is normalized a lot of the times in this industry, especially at much larger developers. Obviously not every developer. Um, some do tend to have better work life, uh, balances, but I've, mm-hmm. this is not a unique case. I've heard this multiple times at different places. Um, and the whole like, Oh, you know, it, it really games are often like uh, a lot of the games I have heard of do tend to say they're in development for whatever, X amount of years. Even Borderlands, we're talking about it's five years in development. However, what does that actually mean? What that probably actually means is it was really being worked on like legitimately for the past year and a half. Like that's probably best case scenario. A lot of the other stuff is design ideation, storyline ideation. It's honestly my for my brief stint in development, it's a lot of dicking around. Like it's just like, does this work? Does it's like throwing spaghetti in the wall and like cool what works what doesn't work right and it sounds like that's exactly what happened here it sounds like after casey hudson who appears was kind of the mastermind of this project that was actually codenamed so this is the other thing it was codenamed dylan i think is dylan named dylan after bob dylan ah there we go I didn't know that. I just heard Dylan. Oh, it's no, it's it says it on the article. Um, oh, I missed that. And it was originally going to be titled Beyond, but then a few weeks or very soon before E3, after they already had T-shirts printed that said Beyond, you know, for the staff at E3, uh, the, the marketing team was like, "Yo, we we can't do this. It's this is way too difficult. You better use your backup." And the backup was Anthem. Which the weirder part to me there is, no shit, you probably couldn't use the title Beyond, like. Where is your legal team? Like, how have they not flagged that as a, you probably can't trademark this. You probably can't like do a whole lot with this. This isn't unique enough of a title. Um, 
I feel like that was just, I, I can't believe anybody let them print shirts. I can't believe anybody let them get that far along with that name. Yeah, that's uh, a, a big yike. So, yeah, it sounds like after Casey Hudson left in August of 2014, it sounds like they just had a really hard time. I mean, this is obviously going all off of Jason's article, which we're assuming because of his his reputation in the industry is is true. And he did talk with 19 employees. But it sounds like everything, like you were saying, Simer, it was just waffling around in, in pre-production for far, far too long. And it sounds like there's this talk within the studio called Bioware Magic where – no matter where the idea is, no matter how hard we have to crunch in the end, we're going to pull through. And I think that's what the developers were talking about, Dragon Age Inquisition. It sounds like that was just a clusterfuck toward the end of that game coming out. But the Bioware magic prevailed, and they they got Game of the Year 2014. And I think that's what most folks, or at least leadership, was telling other staff was, hey, Bioware magic, man, we're going to make it work in the very end. You're just going to have to crunch. You're going to have to work really hard. All while not, no actual decisions were being made. No one, because after Casey left, no one could step up and make those decisions. You know, what are we going to do in a meeting? We will, we have these, these scars. Okay. What are these going to be? Someone would present one idea. Someone present another idea, but nothing would actually get done. And it sounds like that was a big core issue here during the development. Of I mean, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> Like it's that's a, a very big problem. It's a problem if nobody is there to make a final decision. It's a problem if nobody there has a vision. Um, and I think that's actually an interesting thing when you, when you sort of contrast that with when we had, um, friend of the show, Corey Barlog on and how he was talking about, I had this vision and a lot of people thought I was fucking crazy, right? Like, and like, mm-hmm. but I had a vision. He had a vision for what it was and they were able to execute on that vision. If there's nobody like Corey there, even if people are doubting you, even if people are like, no, man, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, all of that aside, if there's nobody there with any sort of vision, you're just waffling. You're just in the dark, right? You're just like, where are the walls? I don't know. You're just kind of right. going around with feelers trying to not fall into a pit or like you have no idea what's in that room because it's dark. Yeah. Um, you're just hoping nothing's going to jump out and bite you in the ass. But Literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the thing about quote unquote Bioware magic is also not a unique thing to Bioware. Like I have also heard that about other studios or people, they wouldn't, I don't, obviously wouldn't call it that, but it's sort of like this idea of it'll somehow all work out in the end. And like, even if you can just put that time in, if you can just make it through, it will be worth it. And I do, I think it's, you know, sort of a dangerous mindset, especially because it means nothing ever changes. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the key point. And we can move on to a little bit here to Bioware's response, which, uh, as you have noted in the show notes, went up about 15 minutes after Kotaku's report, mm-hmm. meaning this was written before they really read it. And I believe right. Jason said uh, separately, or maybe somewhere in that article, I don't remember where I saw it, but Jason had sent them over a few bullet points of like roughly what it would be about, but they didn't get to see the whole article. They didn't have full context for anything he was writing. So this was a response drafted by, I would imagine the studio heads of Bioware in in addition with like EAPR and like, right. So this went live 15 minutes after Jason Schreier's piece went up. And like you said, Steimer, they, he only sent them bullet points. So there's no way, you know, even if they wanted to make the claim that they knew what this piece was about, you can't read this thing 
in 15 minutes and no. draft up a response. It's just not possible. So where this statement is coming from is, yeah, they made an assumption, they read the bullet points, and they drafted something. And I yes. think what comes across is something very tone deaf. But Well, I mean, it would be, right? If you're, if yeah. you're responding to something... It's like, it's like if we're, you and I are having a conversation and you're not actually listening to anything that I'm saying and you just start talking over me and you're just like, (laughs) wait a minute, I haven't finished my sentence yet. What are you talking about? That's sort of what this response came about as because instead of, now granted, here's what I will also say. I do find, um, a little bit of the reporting to be negative in tone in the sense that like it, it paints Anthem to be this epic failure, disaster, like garbage fire and while obviously there's room for improvement there i'm not going to sit here and say anthem is a perfect game i i would uh, say that it's not terribly unsimilar to say sea of thieves and yet there was no article about you know an expose on rare like what happened with that and blah 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 you know like so that's just kind of my my yeah no it's it's true yeah and i think the, the the contrast right is that you hear about how terrible i mean the, the, the picture this paints is that it was an awful development cycle, awful development period for eight, six, I don't know how many years it was. I can't do math. It's hard. But, you know, <laughs> at the end, what we got was a game that a lot have said it's fun to play. It just feels undercooked. It feels like it's a little broken in some areas. You can see where the issues shine in through. And as I was just read an article earlier, I can't remember what it was, but Anthem's made a lot of money. Yeah. You and know, the saving so- grace with Anthem is that it is a game of service, so it has mm-hmm. the opportunity to write the ship. If this was a Mass Effect, what? again, right, that's a different story. That's not right. really a game that's designed to be iterated on as you, after you release it. That's a game that you ship in a box and maybe add a few patches of DLC to. Um, so Anthem can be, and I think will be, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the only part that I, I sort of took issue with was like, it just seemed to like really try to tell the story from like a incredible, um, negative Nancy point of view. Now that being said, I do think that this is an important story to tell. And I think one of the things that highlights in particular that I find sort of fascinating that it's still a thing given how much issues we've read about it before is mm-hmm. this motherfucker frostbite oh yeah <laughs> so man. if you don't know what frostbite is frostbite is a game engine so much like um unreal engine exists unreal engine is made by epic games it is a very common engine uh, a lot of game developers will license and so they will pay epic to use their engine in order to develop video games Frostbite is a an EA owned engine that was made by Dice, uh, who is a game studio in Sweden, and they built it to make first person shooters. So really, this engine wasn't designed to be multi purpose. It was originally designed to make really beautiful, crisp, crunchy first person shooters. That's what it was made to do. EA. For whatever reason. And I get, I, on paper, I understand the decision. I don't understand the decision in practice. <laughs> on paper, you're like, hey, we have this engine. It's capable of making things look exceptionally beautiful. Why don't we go ahead and give this to all of our other development teams and have them use it? And then, because all of our other teams are working on it, you, they can all learn together. They can all share learnings. They will make this like the world's best engine, whatever. All- all for the sake of not having to pay licensing. All money. for the sake of not having to pay 
Yes, Epic Games. So instead of paying off Epic however much they were in licensing fees, now they can just, you know, I don't know, yeah, put it back no in their pockets. Knows, but. And no one knows how to use this engine, right? Like, And it sounds like it was such a shitty engine. It is such a shitty engine. That's something it's that not was- a shitty engine. To clarify what it is, is it is a very highly specified engine that is designed to do a particular thing and do that very well. What it's it a is shitty not, engine it is for not this a multi-purpose kind of engine. Correct. It doesn't right. have a lot of the features that you would need in order to build a Bioware-style game. Yeah, I was reading that even the um, the load save functionality, even third person stuff, or something like that. They had to build yeah. themselves from scratch because that's not included into it. So, yeah, so obviously that's a huge issue, right? Is you have this engine, people aren't familiar with how to use it, and the people that were familiar with how to use it were moved to the FIFA teams because that's obviously the game that's going to make EA the most the most money, right? Yeah. And it's it's a business decision and whatever, like on paper, okay, I get it, but obviously that presents a whole lot of challenges when you have these developers trying to make this game and when the process and, and the pre-production is going so slow, if you know on let's say in January someone says we want this feature you know by the time they figure out how to build this thing it's maybe March or April but by that time pre-production has shifted so much that that's not the feature they want anymore and now you've just wasted a whole bunch of time and it sounds like that was a reoccurring issue within Bioware and uh dang this just made me real sad to read this thing yeah and i think um i saw a tweet from from a former Bioware dev, he, uh, he clarified he never worked on Anthem. I don't remember if he said he worked on Andromeda or not, but, uh, I think he may have worked on Andromeda, but he was basically saying like, look, I'm not going to comment on sort of the leadership issues or anything like that, but I will say frostbite sucks for what we try to build. <laughs> and those pain points are very real. And now he's working on a team that uses unreal engine and he's like, Oh my God. It's like, you know, hallelujah, angels singing sort of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, I'm not quoting him for word for word, sure. obviously. I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, yeah. you know, sort of that where, and to me, I'm just like, my God, I, if you're not going to give the developer key access to the people they need, i.e. dice, if you're not going to give Bioware more dice resources to work on Frostbite, to build Frostbite to be what it needs to be, for the love of all God, give them an Unreal Engine license. Like, just like <laughs> make everybody else work on frostbite fine but like if it's not working it's not working and right. someone needs to be like yo this tech is amazing wonderful good job you doesn't quite work for what we're here for it'd be mm-hmm. like you know i i'm i don't even know where i'm going with this analogy so i'm gonna stop it right at the path at the no, past it, but <laughs> no it's it's and it's you know we have we have friends at bioware and it's just I mean, I don't want to say on what level or anything, and I don't even know where to go with this. It, it, it just makes me sad to read this, and, you know, when I when I hear about... Because, admittedly, you know, when Dragon Age Inquisition came out, I wasn't super familiar with how the dev cycle worked and crunch time and blah, blah, blah. And now reading this, it's almost like, dang. It, it, it doesn't... I don't want to say it puts a taint on the game, but it, it just makes me feel, like, really sad inside. Yeah. You know, that that's so... Yeah, I mean, Stemmer, you know more about this than I do, but... Well, I mean, it's sad because when they were talking about, oh, we need this to fail in order for people to realize. And like the shittier part is that I don't even think if it had failed that anybody would anyone would realize it. All it would have done in my mind is put Bioware closer and closer to the chopping block. Like Mm. EA is not the company 
that sits and thinks about its problems and fixes them. EA is the company that looks at a hemorrhaging limb and cuts it off, right? Like that's more of how I see it. So while I understand the mentality of like, maybe if this fails, we'll finally get things fixed. I don't think that's the case. I do hope in a lot of ways that maybe honestly, this article can help in certain ways. I think when you shine a light on the dark spaces, no one wants to talk about, um, that can be beneficial. I hope that they as a studio throw out their response in a way. Actually, we should read their response here too. Um, just to kind of, so everybody's on the same page here. If you would like to go ahead, Brittany, it's very long, but like paraphrase maybe. I don't know. She said, no, I'll, I'll get through this quick because I think it's important, but all right. We'd like to take, Oh, so this, like I said, posted 15 minutes after Shire's article, and this is on the Bioware blog. We'd like to take a moment to address an article published this morning about Bioware and Anthem's development. First and foremost, we wholeheartedly stand behind every current and former member of our team that worked on the game, including leadership. It takes a massive amount of effort, energy, and dedication to make any game, and making Anthem would not have been possible without every single one of their efforts. We chose not to comment or participate in this story because we felt there was an unfair focus on specific team members and leaders who did their absolute best to bring this totally new idea to fans. We didn't want to be part of something that was attempting to bring them down as individuals. We respect them all, and we built this game as a team. We put a great emphasis on our workplace culture in our studios. The health and well-being of our team members is something we take very seriously. We have built a new leadership team over the last couple of years, starting with Casey Hudson and our GM in 2017, which has helped us make big steps to improve studio culture and our creative focus. We hear the criticisms that were raised by the people in the piece today, and we're looking al- and we're looking at that alongside feedback that we receive in our internal team surveys. We put a lot of focus on better planning to avoid crunch time, and it was not a major topic of feedback in our internal postmortems. Making games, especially new IP, will always be one of the hardest entertainment challenges. We do everything we can to try to make it healthy and stress-free, but we also know there is always room to improve. As a studio and a team, we accept all criticisms that will come our way for the games we make, especially from our players. The creative process is often difficult. The struggles and challenges of making video games are very real. But the reward of putting something we created into the hands of our players is amazing. People in this industry put so much passion and energy into making something fun. We don't see the value in tearing down one another or one another's work. We don't believe articles that do that are making our industry and craft better. Our full focus is on our players and continuing to make Anthem everything it can be for our community. Thank you to our fans for your support. We do what we do for you. Yeah. So. Yeah. This, I'm going to say, this is not all terrible. There are definitely bits and pieces in here where I'm like, if they had, you know, kept those things, those parts aren't necessarily the issue. The main issue is, number one, this went up 15 minutes after this report. So you didn't know, you didn't read it. You didn't internalize it. You didn't, you didn't think about what was being said and then respond. You responded before you even read the thing. And that's very obvious when you read this uh, statement. Yeah. Cause I feel like it doesn't really tear down anyone. I don't feel like you have anyone saying, this person sucked. This person was awful. This person was terrible. I don't feel like Jason conveyed that message at all. I think it's more the the message that the workplace, the, the environment, the culture is what was bad. But I don't feel like that blame was put on any single one person. Right. And then the, the specifically this part I think is laughable again in this in the 
when you put it in context of the time period. The, we hear the criticisms that were raised by the people in the piece today, and no, you didn't, because you didn't read the article before you responded. <laughs> right. You just responded and said that we hear you, which is a bullshit apology. Um, so, like, those are obviously <laughs> a lot of the major issues with this. And then kind of they gloss over... I mean, obviously they gloss over things because they didn't read it. <laughs> so yeah. they, they didn't have anything really to respond to. They didn't quite know what they were responding to. They were just sort of shooting in the dark um, and hoping that it hit something. Yeah. And you know, like, so it's yeah. talking about like, it's basically like video games are hard, which yes, 100% yeah. video games are fucking hard to make. It's a miracle we get any at all. But to kind of say that that is normal is the issue in the sense that yes, I do. I do believe in a sense that a lot of creative processes are going to be difficult. I think game development will never be quote unquote easy, but Mm -hmm. I do think that that's stupid to say you couldn't have optimized whatsoever. Right? Like it's not just to be like, well, it's just hard, I guess that's not, that's not a good response. And to say that they don't believe that articles like this again, that they hadn't read, Mm -hmm. um, are not making the industry or craft better is just oh. flat out wrong because right. what the article is trying to do is amplify the voices of those that are not heard. And clearly there were a lot of folks who maybe didn't feel comfortable speaking up or maybe did speak up and weren't heard or, you know, God knows there's so many different variants of why leadership does what they do. And sometimes you just got to like, put the bullhorn right to their face and yell at them. And like, that's kind of what this mm-hmm. article is. And I think it's going to make them uncomfortable and it should. And they really need to sit down and look at their studio and figure out how they can fix this. If they yeah. can fix this. And, and if they lessons, can't fix Yeah. There are lessons that can be learned. Obviously you spent way too much time in pre-production. You need to make sure you always have a leader first and foremost. So you're not doing this crazy. Cr- There's a lesson that can be learned there, but yeah, it's, it, and again, I, I I love Bioware, and I love a lot of the people that work at Bioware. But this just makes me so upset because, I, and I know this isn't just a Bioware issue, but it's just unfair. If you read the accounts of these employees that Jason talks to, and then for them to put in the statement, the very last paragraph that says, "But the reward of putting something we create into our play, the hands of our players is amazing. People put so much passion and energy to make it something fun. We don't see the value in tearing down one another or one another's work." There's 19 employees that were a part of this piece that were crying that had to take, you know, stress leave. That doesn't sound like something. This just seems so tone deaf and insensitive. And it's again because they didn't read the article. And this this isn't how this should game development should be. Right. You know, and I think I just feel like they could have done way better. And I and of course, it's probably asking too much to hope for a response from Bioware where they say, hey, you know. There were a lot of valid points brought up in this piece, and we agree that we need to look at how we can make our craft better and how we even can if streamline they don't say, and even optimize. If, even if you don't say, like, the you know, the points are valid or whatever. Like, you can say it in a way where, like, wow. Yeah, like, this po- this piece ha- leaves us, like, with a lot of reflecting to do, and we need right. to internally go and fix this ourselves. Like, we don't need to necessarily... Honestly, they don't necessarily owe this giant statement to everybody. What they owe is to their employees. What they owe is to the people at that studio breaking their fucking necks trying to build this game. And this, I mean, 
honestly, like PR 101, don't respond to something that you don't know what you're responding to. Um, yeah. It's just not a good look. Um, that being said, I want to actually see if I can pull up. So I saw Casey tweeted today. Um, mm. and I think he, so he said, um, I think some people are seeing our support for our developers named in the article as dismissing the need to continue making improvements in our workplace. Not at all. Dot, dot, dot. It continues to another part, another tweet, I should say. Part of what interested me about returning to Bioware was the challenge of building a new leadership team around solving precisely these problems. We have more work to do, but creating a happy and rewarding work environment remains our top priority. Yay. Um, so like it's there a nice go. thing to say, but again, yeah, like they yeah. need to now go away. And by away, I mean like out of public eye and like actually do something and fix it yeah. and whether fixing it means that ea will finally let them license unreal who knows like <laughs> like or any literally any other engine besides mm-hmm. this clusterfuck that is frostbite trying to build an rpg god bless but you know it's just it is unfortunate and i will say like i said not necessarily unique i think the frostbite issue is sort of unique in that i don't think necessarily a lot of studios are forced to use such a misaligned tool it's like a square peg round hole. Right. And you're just like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? That is not a, it sounds like there is even a, um, a frostbite support team that people would have to submit tickets and questions to, you know, and other games would get higher priority in terms of responses because, you know, whatever. And yeah, it, it just sounds like, I guess to sum all this up, it's not surprising, you know, reading this and everything that these employees tell Jason makes sense. Um, I obviously have not even played much of Anthem besides the demo because uh, I'm waiting for this game to get patched, hopefully. And I quite frankly don't want to touch it until it's patched. But from what I've read and from what others have said, yeah, it's like this, this makes sense. And it's unfortunate that this happened. But like you said, Steimer, you know, shining a flashlight in the dark places, you know, this is how change happens. And it, it's just it's just sad the whole thing makes me sad yeah i just think of bioware a la you know back when i was just getting in the industry and they had all their little panels for dragon age and you'd go like meet everybody and shake hands and it was like a little tight-knit community now granted that was just dragon age but it just i don't know i just feel like they're losing that that personable taste that personable like front you know with this kind of statement and i hope that things just kind of flip a little bit yeah anyway. I do too. <sighs> All right. Next story. And then I promise we're going to move on to some happier things in life. GameStop is losing so much money. Thanks. Nice headline, Destructoid. Thank you. <laughs> I know. It makes me kind of laugh. Um, do you want me to take this one or do you want to take oh, it? Oh, sure. I can do it. You did the last sad story. Um, right. So GameStop has had its worst year ever by a large margin. Uh, this video game retailer giant is trending down in almost every area of operation, prompting its brass to concede that it needs to change its business model. For the 2018 fiscal year, GameStop posted net losses of $673 million. Net sales were down 3% to $8.29 billion. A new hardware sales dropped 1%. Uh, new software is down 5%. Pre-owned game sales are plummeted more... Th- oh, sorry. And pre-owned game sales plummeted by more than 13%. Collectible sector is the only one that showed growth, up by 11%, which is actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers that show that 2018 was historically unkind to games... Oh, God, wow. I can't read today. I'm, I apologize. It's the fever. 
It might be the the light grade fever (laughs) slash (laughs) this giant bright light being shown in my eyes as I'm trying to read this. (laughs) The numbers show that 2018 was historically unkind to GameStop. Prior to 2018, GameStop's worst fiscal year was in 2012 when it reported net losses of 269 million. Well, that 673 is a lot more than that. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other unprofitable year in GameStop's history was 2000 when the company was much smaller and lost 7 million. Wow, that is okay. Yipes. Uh, GameStop has been in dire straits for a while as the rise of digital distribution cannibalized its pre-owned sales model. The ever-shrinking used games market is alarming for GameStop, who hitched its wagon to this trend many years ago. COO and CFO Rob Lloyd. Wait, he's both? <laughs> Apparently, like a big baller. (laughs) Two hats. Told investors, quote, we recognize the challenges facing our pre-owned video game business and are prepared to address them as we continue to evolve our business model going forward. A while back, its board planned to sell the company, but those plans have been scrapped. The announcement that GameStop wasn't for sale caused the company's stock price to crash a low uh, to a 14-year low in January. Furthermore, forecasts expect total sales to drop another 5 to 10% in 2019. On the bright side, GameStop says it has a plan to optimize logistics and operational strategies that could wind up saving the money upward of $100 million annually. However, that's not expected to make much of a dent until 2020 at the earliest. Change and profits need to come quick, though, because it very much seems as though time is not on GameStop's side. Yikes. Yikes, Yikes. indeed. And Get I more of those these... sweet, sweet collectibles, because apparently that's where <laughs> that's the money's at. And this, yeah, those numbers include GameStop's $700 million sale of Spring Mobile Business. And that still didn't really do much for them. Yeah, so this is, I mean, I guess not surprising. It's not, I mean, especially as a lot of, as a lot of retail habits are transitioning more toward online versus, Mm -hmm. like, I don't remember the last time I went, well, it actually probably wasn't that long ago. But, like, you don't go to the mall as often as you once did, probably. Maybe you do. In certain parts, but I certainly don't. Uh, I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where now a lot of things are just on your phone or they're just on the PlayStation or they're on the Xbox and on the Amazon are on Amazon. There's so many options now. I don't have to go buy the thing at the store. Yeah. And you know, as someone who used to be a collector, which is why my house is covered in video games and just, you know, getting older, having more obligations and responsibilities and whatnot. I just, I, I, I don't have the, the, the want or need to get in my car, drive 15, 20 minutes to GameStop, pick up a physical edition. Cause now, now I see it as more of a burden, right? It's like, I have the game case, I have the game. And then what's going to ultimately happen because I'm a child is I'm going to put the wrong game in the wrong game case. And then I'm not going to be able to find anything. And then it's going to be a clusterfuck and I'll be very sad about it. It's just so much easier to keep my ass on the couch and order something and have it downloaded. And there you go. And that's just my experience. And I know I'm definitely not alone in that, that, you know, there are lots of other people who have gone to the digital side because of just the convenience alone. And when people do that, you know, there's not a secondhand, the secondhand market shrinks because now people don't have pre-owned fiscal games to turn in. So it's kind of like a domino effect. Um, totally. and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm assuming that GameStop will get a boost with this PS5 and Xbox Scarlet coming up soon, but they just have to survive. And they will. But it's better, because yeah. we're in their stores now. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> Don't let us down. Get, no, we love you guys. Hope you guys like turntables. So actually, I was looking into this, and they recently got a new CEO, and his name is George Sherman, and he wants to redefine the stores as a, quote, cultural experience. Hmm. So Wait, like yeah. an arcade? 
I don't think so. Oh, but okay. kind of. Well, maybe, maybe you could twist it in that the way sense of like. If you twist it's it real hard. It's an experience hard. sort of a thing. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, yeah, you can twist it like that. So this is from Jeffrey Grubb at VentureBeat. He tweeted that essentially, I'm paraphrasing, there's going to be more TVs for demos. So, yes, them are kind of like an arcade in that sense. They want to create new stores, and by that I'm assuming they're talking about different kinds of game stores. They want to make it more inviting, not as crowded. And these are changes expected to go into play starting in August. So and here's a question for you slash to listeners i suppose Mm -hmm. that makes me wonder like if you could say instead of going to a pax instead of going to an e3 mosey on down to the game store and try a game that you've really been wanting to play would that do it for you would that be an interesting experience for you i'm assuming that's based off the assumption that people only want to go to pax to try the new games it's not that they only want to go to PAX there. It's just more of like, or for that reason. It's like, I hear a lot of people being like, oh, I go to PAX where I've now, you know, since E3 has been public, I've gone to E3 or I've gone to these events and the lines are so long, right? And you're like, oh, oh right. my God, like I have to wait hours to play five minutes of a game. But if they had something similar where you could have a light experience like that, but in a store where there's not a line and you mm-hmm. can kind of just go. And have a little bit more of a relaxing time. I'm wondering if that's yeah. where they're going with it, is my question. Kind of. Do you think they could do something, you know, at the mall where they have those PlayStation, not not like a PlayStation. I think it's literally called Play, P-L-A-Y, and it's like a big station where you get to play games. You know, where like even GameWorks has it. It's, I don't know what it's called, though, where you get to go rent a TV for a little bit, play some games. Well, I guess that really wouldn't work. And then if they had unreleased, you know, early game fo- early game demos, like maybe something like you said, you could get out of PAX maybe. Yeah, it would be the, sa- the same builds as they would make mm-hmm. for PAX or make for E3. And instead giving those to GameStop so that, you know, Borderlands isn't out yet, but you can go to GameStop right now and try it. Sort of They've a done thing. that with certain games, like with VR too, right? I feel like Best VR, Buy VR has like definitely done stuff like this. Um, yeah. Especially because uh, not everybody lives in a place where you can have a VR set up. So like... Of course, you could go and have like a really great experience at a storefront or a arcade front or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, going to be interesting. And you know, the story just broke. Was it last week that Sony is no longer selling full game codes digitally? So Amazon, GameStop, they can no longer sell those games in that way. So that's just another blow. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they pivot this and how it works. I mean, for a while, the system worked very well, but obviously the industry is changing and now you have to scale back and adapt because you got to change with it. Otherwise you go out of business. Otherwise you see stuff like this losing freaking $673 million. Wow. Yikes. Wow. All right. Speaking of PlayStation, I thought this was an interesting thing to bring up because it's kind of relevant to the last story. Also, during our PAX panel, someone asked a question about this in a sense. So PlayStation Store now offers refunds on pre-orders and faulty content. And this comes from Polygon. So according to PlayStation's new cancellation policy, customers can request a refund on any pre-ordered purchases up until release day, quote, provided that you have not started downloading or streaming it. After that release date, customers can still request a refund, quote, up to 14 days after payment was taken for the pre-order, provided that you have not started downloading or streaming the content to your device. Customers can request refunds on other purchases, including full games, downloadable content, themes, avatars, and season passes within 14 days. Quote, if you started to download or stream the purchase content, you are not eligible for a refund unless the content is faulty, Sony says. The support website does not specify what constitutes as faulty content. 
In most cases, it appears the refunds will go back into a customer's PlayStation wallet. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure if them not doing this is technically a legal issue because I don't think you're allowed to charge people until a good or service has been received or is being shipped to you in some Ooh, way. Look at you, girl. Um, you been playing that ace attorney? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> um, looking forward to it. Um, but no, uh, so I, I think it's, it's good that they, they've altered that. Um, and obviously the laws are in different territories, but, um, yeah. I do think it's funny that they're like, unless the content is faulty, but then they don't tell you what faulty means. What, yeah, like it doesn't work. Right. Like, is that no. just like, if you bitch enough and say that you can't run it, will that work? It's they probably really like your version of Monster Hunter World. Remember how faulty that shit was? Oh, when I couldn't. But you can't prove that it didn't work like that on my uh, Xbox. Yeah, I don't, so I don't, I don't know, know how you. I don't know. I don't know how you. <laughs> they should have put yeah. better guidelines around that. And, and also, there could have been in some really, really fine print that I didn't dive into. But it's. I mean, knows. Polygon also didn't find it. So. Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but no, it's, you know, because one of the questions we got at our panel was how you know digital be in the the future how do you handle refunds how do you handle xyz and yeah you know and we said it's it's a hard question to answer because it depends on the kind of game right if it's a you know a 300 hour game and you put five hours into it and you're like this isn't for me then maybe you have a case but if you're playing you know a call of duty game which is typically a five to six hour campaign and you get five hours into it yeah like where's the scale there right yeah Um, it's very very particular you'd have to have so many different if x then y sort of things on your customer service sheets so that all of the representatives knew what to do and good luck with that yeah Yeah. so i guess you know i think what needs to happen is people just have to start throwing their policies out there and making tweaks and it looks like this is part of that it's gonna be a messy time for a while oh yeah strap in strap all right yes all right so Happy we got news. a little bit of nicer news. Twitch Prime subscription now comes with free Nintendo Switch online for a year. I misread this headline at first and thought it said it gave you a free Nintendo Switch. It does not. Um, so Twitch Prime <laughs> members, though, can still claim a free three months of Nintendo Switch online. You just need to, of course, sign in. I assume link those accounts and you'll get your free shit. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. That's the, I mean, there's a whole lot of more like, I don't feel like reading that. I got you, girl. It's just like a lot of sign up by this date and then you'll get the deal after 60 days. We could have read the whole article by now. Okay, you're right. Let's go. Okay. Sorry. So, okay, real quick. If you go to twitch.amazon.com slash Nintendo, twitch.amazon.com slash Nintendo, and you have Amazon Prime, you claim three months of Nintendo Switch Online for free. And then after that three months, you can sign back in and get your additional nine months. And they do this so you don't just create an account and then cancel it and then try to get your free 12 months. Um, if but you ain't nobody going to remember that 60 days. So you got to put a reminder in your phone. That's right. If you already have Nintendo Switch Online, you can stack this. So, for example, my Nintendo Switch Online runs out, I think, December of 2020. I could take advantage of this, and now it will run out till December of 2021. So, hey, just a little, a little nice little boost out there. It saves you 20 bucks. Woo. Twenty bucks is twenty bucks. Hey, and now and you're already probably paying for you're already probably paying for Prime. So there exactly, you go. there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to Rumor Town. Choo choo. I have that in my Rumor notes. Town. Chugga 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 chugga. Choo choo. Okay, how many chuggas do you say before you do choo choo? Chugga 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 choo choo. Six. I don't know. It's a lot of chuggas. There was a, there was a big internet debate about this earlier. All right. 
Persona 5, Metroid Prime Trilogy, and A Link to the Past for Switch has been listed on Best Buy. Thank you, Best Buy. All right, this is via IGN. U.S. retailer Best Buy has listed a Switch release of Persona 5 as well as Metroid Prime Trilogy and The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past on its eternal staff-only database, according to leaks on Twitter. Photographs of computer screens displaying the database are the source of the leak, which are posted to Imgur by Gru0731 <laughs> and then spread across by Mystic, a translator specializing in Persona. The image was corroborated by Wario64, who has a long history of accurate video game scoops. Wario 64 then went on to, went on to upload mobile screenshots from Best Buy system, which shows listing for Metroid Prime Trilogy and a Zelda, a link to the past. This is a large leak, but leak, but one that should be approached with caution. Persona 5 coming to Switch has long been rumored as the teaser website for P5S suggests that a Switch version of Atlas's JRPG hit is not out of the question. More information will be revealed on April 25th, and there's much less to suggest that the Metro Prime Trilogy and A Link to the Past are based in truth. The database allegedly already includes a listing for Link's Awakening, suggesting Best Buy is not confused in Nintendo's upcoming remake for A Link to the Past, but there's no announcements or rumors of another Zelda remake or remaster that we can point to. And also, LOL, Metroid Prime Trilogy, that would be amazing and <laughs> awesome, but who knows. Okay, and then several hours... Earlier today, which is Wednesday the 3rd, these were all removed from the Core Blue system, Best Buy's little internal system, but are still listed in the RSS. I feel like I'm saying so many S's today because I have my damn Invisalign in. Yeah, that's usually how it goes, isn't it? Okay. So regarding this, this Persona thing, Mm -hmm. do I have that? Oh, I don't have it in here. Shit. What? The Persona 5S stuff. What about it? I thought I had it. Oh. Okay. Have you heard about it? Uh, no, but I mean, I kind of get the gist. Okay, so basically, yeah, there's a festival, Persona, is it a Persona festival, something going on right now, and on April 24th, we're getting the Persona 5 Royal uh, scoop, and then on the 25th, we're getting this Persona 5S scoop, and so obviously the thought is, hey, this is going to be Persona 5 coming to Switch. Oh, my God. Also, you know, Joker's coming to Smash by the end of this month. He still hasn't been on there, so it would make sense if Joker's coming to Smash on Switch. Also, he's coming, he and the whole crew's coming to Switch as well. Some people are saying... What if it's just P5S is just P5 Smash and it's not Switch? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It's probably not, but you know. That would make me so, so sad. There's, um... Oh, here I go. I have it right here. So the website in question, here we go. Yeah. The website in question, p5s.jp, suggests that, quote, one more information will be revealed on the 25th of April, which so happens to be the second day of a Persona Super Live concert taking place in Tokyo. Gamatsu <gasps> I want to go. I know. <laughs> Gamatsu, or, yeah, Gamatsu has discovered a hidden calling card on the site, which reads as follows. This is the calling card. April 25th, 2019, we will show you a new Phantom Thebes that will turn the world's cognition on its head. We are energized by voices that seek satisfaction. Once again, we will take your heart at the... Oh, I'm going to fuck this up, but I'm going to give my best shot. Ryo Goku Kokugikan from the Phantom Thieves. So anyway, so yes. Samer, do you think we're getting sm- uh, Persona 5 on the Switch? I don't know. Um, and I don't know, I'm like trying to think about the calling card and talking about voices and I'm like, I wonder if it's like a weird Persona 5 spinoff for the Switch and not actually Persona 5. Some folks think it could be another weird dancing game or a fighting game. Because of the voices part is like, hmm, and it's talking about cognition being different. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think it would be a straight port. I honestly have no idea. It says we are energized but, by voices that seek satisfaction. I mean, we are voices that seek satisfaction, and I'd love Persona 5. Maybe. I mean, honestly, yeah, that could be, it could be talking about the internet voices. Yeah. 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 I mean, I wouldn't mind. Obviously, I think I loved Persona on my Vita, so I like Persona games on handheld-ish devices. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not going to play this game again, so it doesn't make a huge difference to me. <laughs> it took but me so long to finish the first If the, the I know, exactly. <laughs> so, But if you hadn't played it yet and you have a Switch, like, I'm stoked for you. Oh my Go God. play. Like, absolutely get it if this becomes a thing. Um, because I think it's just the perfect game to play on a, on a handheld. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll find out about three weeks, actually. So we'll yeah. have to hold tight and clutch on to our butts. Or hold, hold on, on to, our on to your butts. And finally, just a few little more tidbits of news, some of which kind of broke last week, but we recorded on Tuesday of last week, so we missed some stuff. Mainly, something I want to just briefly touch on via GameSpot, Monolith Soft, Monolith Soft, the developer of the Xenoblade Chronicle series, is hiring for a new Legend of Zelda game. Ha ha ha. The studio has put out a call on its website for programmers, designers, and other roles to apply. Monolith Soft is no stranger to Legend of Zelda as it co-develops Skyward Sword and, more recently, Breath of the Wild. Is it so just me it, or is Monolith Soft, like, the weirdest name? It's a really fucking weird name. I don't know if it has any meaning, but I, I mean... I know what a monolith is, but soft. But soft? Like, I mean, I guess you can't really call it monolith hard. <laughs> oh, no. Monolith rigid. I'm anyway. like, what is... Oh, software <laughs> probably is what it means. Oh, Wow, that took me a minute. But I'm just like, but just to call it soft is like... Is it kind of like Squaresoft was back in the day? Oh, that's a good point. I mean, like, I I, yeah, I like how our minds just is. went our mind just went to the My same place. My mind went to, like, a squishy substance. <laughs> yes. Indeed, pillow time. Pillow, anyway. pillow, pillow time. All right, other thing I'm going to talk no, about. Ha- no, oh. no, I'm not done talking about this yet. Don't rush me. Oh, sorry. Listen, Samir, I love you, girl, but we're only, like, an hour and ten minutes into this. We gotta fucking milk it. Okay. Go for it. So tell me about Zelda and how excited you are. (laughs) Okay. How can you not like Skyward Sword and you weren't that keen on Breath of the Wild? (sighs) Right. It's complicated. So you don't want anything from Legend of Zelda from these people. No, I want lots of things from these people. I think they created... Okay, I don't know exactly what their role was in Skyward Sword, but I know with Breath of the Wild, they worked on the topography of of the huge landscape, and they're really good at that. Um... So I, I'm excited for Monolith Soft to come back because what that tells me is that they're working on probably a very large, expansive game yet again, which is something I want. And my hope and dream for this next Zelda game is that it brings back dungeons and some of the more traditional aspects of Zelda that I have known to love in my 20 something year, 25 years of playing Zelda games or however old I was. Anyway. Yeah. So I think this next game, cause we have, Link's Awakening coming. We have mm-hmm. obviously the the mashup between the dancing game and whatever. That's great, but we need whatever <laughs> and, that is. That's sure. great. It's it's more Zelda. I'll happily play it. I don't even ask questions. So obviously, you know, there 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 has to this new expansive Zelda games in some is in works in some capacity, and maybe it's along farther than we think it is. But I think it's going to work off of the foundation set by Breath of the Wild. I mean, why not? Why not? I think that's a huge, beautiful world that can be reused in some capacity. Maybe they make it pre-apocalypse, maybe where everything's alive and thriving and well. Anyway, 
I'm talking pipe dream here, but I just hope that I think this means we're getting another big expansive Zelda game, obviously along the lines of Breath of the Wild. Maybe it's a prequel, maybe it's a little bit of a sequel, maybe it's like Breath of the Wild 1.5 or two, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, exciting stuff. It's probably not if I'm if I'm being super duper Britney, I'm gonna say holiday 2020. But haha, probably not. But yeah, I'll call I have that no right idea now. when they start. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell when you don't know when they started on a project. Probably a long time ago. Anyway. A long time ago. Well, it couldn't so have been that long ago because they just did Breath of the Wild in 2017. But I'm sure. I mean, that Shit. was it was that <laughs> really wasn't. Yeah, it came out March 2017 oh and launched alongside the Switch. Where does time go? Was it March or February? I want to say it was March. March. Anyway, one or the other. Right. So yeah, yeah, I mean, 2020 would be you know three and a half years holiday my god my god all right i know how much you love human fall flat so you can say this if you want or i could just read it can you read it to me and i'll like be really happy human fall flats free quote 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 unquote not quote quote dark level (laughs) inspired by quote horror movies like the universal classic monsters beetlejuice and a nightmare before christmas comes to console on april 16th Hell yeah. So we played this during one of our Patreon After Hours streams, and we were all slightly intoxicated. But this is one of my favorite co-op games to play. You're these little blobby ragdoll physics dudes, and it's just pure chaos, and it's hilarious. I laughed until I may have tinkled my pants a little bit. Yes. Actually, I think the art style, if you can call it that... (laughs) lends itself well to like a nightmare before christmas like a claymation sort of a thing um and the beetle even beetlejuice like i could see the the fuck i forget what they're called but the worms the sandworms whatever Uh, i forget but uh, anyways i can see this working very well is what i'm trying to say yeah and if you haven't played human fall flat you should it's hilarious it's a good co-op game and they said um no breaks games i believe is the developer said that there are more content upgrades to come in 2019 give me more levels thank you oh right samer yeah i think we have finally done we are finally finally done with this big ass news section so you know what that means it means it's time to take a break it's time to take a break so we can talk about what we've been playing ah we will be right back. Welcome back to the What's Good Games podcast. This is the second segment where we talk about what we've been playing. But first, let me tell you a little bit about our lovely sponsor, Calm, who is bringing you this week's hands-on impressions. So... Stress is a worldwide epidemic. We're working longer hours, we're inundated with the constant news cycle, and we're more connected than ever before. Stress is a part of life, but it can very easily affect our overall well-being. Well-being. That's why we're partnering with Calm, the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and your stress and help you sleep better. More than 40 million people around the world have downloaded it. And if you head to calm.com, Slash what's good, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. And there's also sleep stories, which are bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax. Head to the magical lavender fields of southern France with Stephen Fry, or explore the moonlit jungles of Africa with Leona Lewis. They even have soothing music and more. So I find stuff like this 
actually really helpful. And it's one of the things I've been trying to bake more into my day-to-day um, work cycle just because every now and then you need to take a mental break and you need to just sort of disconnect, have a minute of downtime. And I find that it really does help me. And I also love anything that's going to help me fall asleep because I often do have issues turning off my brain and trying to relax as I'm going to bed. Um, so if that sounds appealing to you right now, what's good games listeners get 25% off a calm premium subscription at calm.com slash what's good. That's C A L M.com slash what's good. So you get unlimited access to all of calm's content today at calm.com slash what's good. Get calm and stop stressing. Oh man. I think we all need a little bit of that in our lives. Absolutely. So miss Christine Steimer. That is me. You have been playing, well, you and I have been playing some stuff together, but before we get to that, it looks like you've been doing some Oxenfree and more Celeste. Yeah, so um, I've been traveling. I was basically been on the road the last two weeks of this month. I haven't been home, so I haven't been able to play anything except stuff on my Switch. Uh, so when I left, I was like, you know what? I somehow have never played Oxenfree, and I keep hearing, I've heard so much about it, and I've always meant to play it, and I just never did. And I thought it would be the perfect game to play on a plane. Well, uh, the funny part <laughs> is, is that Oxenfree, it's, it is a good game to play, but it is a little freakier than I originally imagined. I think I kind of went into it a little bit blind. I knew it was sort of adventure gamey, but not really, you know, more of like a visual novel sort of a thing. Maybe light puzzles, like that kind of style. I knew sort of what I was getting into, but I didn't know the story behind it. Um, and turns out it's a little bit freakier than I thought it would be. And so basically the the general premise is you, and I won't go too deep into it because I don't want to spoil anything, but you go to Edwards Island, which is, um, it's in Washington State, I believe, yes? I don't know. I'm pretty I, sure I it is. I finished it. Mm-hmm. Well, Edwards Island is, I'm pretty sure, a real place. Let me. Oh, go- I know that. Let me Google it. Maybe See? I'm talking out my ass. Ed- Edwards Island? Oh, maybe it's in Canada. I'm thinking of Prince Edward Island in Canada. That's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, oh, okay. so um, this might be a fake island. But anyways, uh, <laughs> with, a, with a somewhat similar name to a real place in real life, um, you and your friends go to like basically drink on the beach at night and have fun, super fun high school party times. And one of the things you bring there is a radio because your friend has said, Oh, like there's some weird shit in the caves and like you can kind of tune in and it's weird and like sort of freaky, but whatever. And like, which is such a high school thing to do. It's just like, oh, you know, like, oh, there's this weird thing and it's like, but let's, let's go do it. Let's go check it out. Let's go do something dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and then you go do that and crazy shit ensues and you, you go through the story trying to figure out what the hell is going on. The game's sort of like, has a little it's not super jump scare but like there are definitely times where like the music and combination with like sort of glitching on purpose mm-hmm. uh it freaked me out and i actually like jumped a little bit on the plane because <laughs> there was one part where it was sort of doing the weird like like yeah glitchy thing at me and the plane was having turbulence and the lights were flickering and i was like what's happening <laughs> this is where i die kind of i was like well i might die here but that's okay uh you know oh. there are worse ways to go maybe i'm not sure I but mean, playing video games i guess is playing video games on the way down is probably how i'd want to go because no. at least i'm distracted perfect uh 
Anyways, I did really like the game. Um, it's one of those games that you can play uh, again. It's sort of designed to be played multiple times. But Oh, you finished it? I finished it. Yeah, it's not that long. Oh, okay. Uh, it's like a, I want to say like five, six hours. And you can replay it. I did not because um, I tend to not do that nowadays. I just don't. I don't know. Sorry. Nah. Sorry, developers. But, um, but I still really enjoyed it. And I think if you like sort of I hate calling it a visual novel um but it is sort of that the only gripe i really had with it and that's part of why i didn't play it again actually to be honest is i didn't love the way it ran there's too many loading screens you walk too slowly like it just sort of felt like it was chugging along a little bit in that respect and i don't quite understand maybe it's because of the animation time but they had this really pretty it's 2d art but then there's 3D models for the characters. I assume that is because it's easier to rig a character model and have animation done that way through 3D than it is to hand animate, um, you know, a 2D sprite. But I kind of wish they had. I kind of wish, yeah. like, especially because the the screen is zoomed so far out. The 3D models doesn't they don't really look like anything. It's kind of like mm. it's they're just sort of. I mean, you understand who they are because of the hair color for the most part. Um, but there's, they're like little ants on the screen. <laughs> I think I remember playing Oxenfree on the Switch, but it was so small. That yeah. It, it kind of turned me off a bit. The smallness is kind of weird. Um, I haven't gotten to play their new game. So the studio, I believe, is called Night School, and they have the game After Party that's coming yes. up that you and Andrea were talking about. Um, I saw it briefly. I didn't stand in line to play it at PAX, but, from what I peeped over people's shoulders and looked, doesn't look like it has that same issue of oxen free. Looks like it's much more zoomed in. I couldn't tell if it was 3D models or if they were all 2D sprites. Did you? Did you play mm, it? I saw it in action, but admittedly, I wasn't paying attention. Okay, to well, that. it's not a super yeah. big deal. But anyways, that was the one. My major drawback slash feedback on oxen free was kind of traversing the world was a bit of a more of a pain in the ass than I wanted it to be, and um. It just felt like technically it didn't run super crisp. It wasn't mm. wasn't the best. Um, After Party looks really good though. From what we, I'm pretty sure it's 3D. Now that I'm thinking about it, 3D models, had, 3D models, mm-hmm. 2D background. I think so. Oxenfree came out when that was a it was oh, a while ago, 2016. Was, yeah. Okay. And I just cool. now got around to playing it, but hey, listen, you, know. you you finished another game, Steimer. I you should did. be very proud and of I'm yourself. And I'm so close to finishing. One more game. Oh boy. Also on my Switch. It's called Celeste. Oh my god, you're still going at it. I love you. So what happened was, I finally was like, you know what? I need to bite the fucking bullet. Mm. I need to put this on baby ass baby mode. And I need to get through this damn game. Did you put it on baby ass baby mode? So here's how this happened. Uh oh. So, I jump in, and I of course can't quite, I can't let go fully at first. I I have, I'm, too broken in the mind so what i do is i just add another dash because like you can you can go in and like sort of adjust as you go so i went in and i was like you know what i'm just gonna give myself two dashes and i'll I'll play through that way and i did like another level with just two dashes or another chunk whatever they're called Yeah, yeah then i get to the next one and i'm like dear god what is this and I make through I make it through a decent chunk with just the two dashes, but then I'm like, there's no fucking way 
<laughs> that I can do this. So then I go ahead and I think I threw on invincibility. I was like, you know what? Cause the, yes. the, the passageways that you had to like navigate through, I did not have enough precision in my little dinky joy con stick to like i'm like you're gotta be kidding me all i play my switches in handheld mode i don't ever dock it i don't ever use the pro controller Mm. i don't have the finesse required to make it through this (laughs) game like this so uh i'm sorry because i was like fuck it invisibility let's go invincibility not invisibility uh and went through like that for a while and then i made it through like another couple levels and then i was like you know what fuck it i'm adding all of the dashes so now I can just yes. dash everywhere, yes. go, I'm invincible, and I'm like, this game is so fucking fun now. It is so weird how, how much my perception has shifted of that game just by making it easier. And like, just by changing some of those sliders, it's, it was sort of interesting and, and magical in a way. Um, and I think it's sort of funny because there's a lot of conversation right now about, uh, Sekiro and, whether or not um, adding accessibility to something, I, I think in a way takes away what the core design goal was for that creative team. And I think Celeste is a fantastic example of something that is brutally hard and yet also accessible. And I don't think one negates the other. And I don't think that there is any one right way to play a video game or to experience a video game. And I don't think any video game creators would agree with that either. I don't think even the makers of Sekiro would say that there was only one correct way to do what they're, what they've created. Um, and not only that kind of F everyone who says that, because like, there's so many ways to cheese a boss or to like to go around. Like there's so many things like that. where like, yes, you can make it easier. It's just not intended to be that way because it's just something that the fucking programmer didn't realize you would do as a gamer. <laughs> and so they didn't fix it. Like, and I I've done that even in, um, like in crackdown, there was this one weird boss that was like strangely harder than all the others. And I was texting Jackie and I was like, what the fuck, man? And she's like, Oh, just go to this corner. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. They, like, they can't get you there. And I'm like, that's what video games are in a way. Like, yeah. there are always, there's always a way to try and find and, and make it more accessible. It's just not necessarily something that is widely talked about or like, as, it's not talked about as an accessibility thing. And, right. uh, it's, but, it, but it is. It's like, if you can find a way to easily defeat a boss, I feel like most people would do that. I think about this boss in Asheron's call and there is a boss called, oh God, was it Garolin? No, not Garland. Maybe. I don't remember who it was. Anyway, Jason and I had to defeat him. In order to do that, I I had to trap him in a corner. Mm-hmm. I literally had to run down the stairs, trap him in a corner, and just like take off the damage while Jason, who was playing a mage, stood far behind me and was just blasting him with his magic. Like, that's like the only way we were able to do it. Yeah. But it's part of the fun of it. I, I'm right there with you, girl. Yeah. I like, get there's, it. there's different. Everyone has a strategy. Hell, okay. Even in the world's quote unquote easiest game. Mm-hmm. Viva Pinata. You know what I fucking did? I cheesed the hell out of that game. I went yeah. and I built a fence around Professor Pester so he couldn't get into my garden. You built, <laughs> like, you, you could, you could build the fence so, like, it's trapping him right outside the edge of your garden. And I fucking oh did that. God. I was like, screw you. You are fucking up my shit. I do not approve of it. And I trapped him. Um, the only negative to that is that he sat there and just groaned for like the entire, like the rest of the time oh, I boy. played the game. Cause he makes weird noise. He's like, Rawr! 
like he every action has a reaction yes and so that was so. you know i cheesed the game but as penance i had to sit there and listen to him listen to him groaning for like another so, 50 hours would you say now you are more apt to turning on baby ass baby mode in games i think Have it you depends, crossed the bridge it depends on the game and it depends on how i'm feeling um mm-hmm. i think why I, I definitely changed it on celeste is number one i'm on an airplane I actually did cuss at one point, which is when I turned it the first down the first time. Because so I was like, oh, there's people around. Maybe I shouldn't be like almost throwing this thing across the street. Oh, my God. You know, amazing. The aisle. Um, and I think in certain games, I just want to feel powerful. And in other games, I'm kind of okay with the slow ramp up that it tends yeah. to be in games. So, I mean, it's just it just depends. I do think... Um, accessibility is not a thing that needs to be questioned. I think it's something that should be for everyone. Like get more people to play your games. I don't see the issue with it. Uh, all it is doing is number one, potentially providing more sales, which is getting a healthier business, which is making your studio healthier, which is making everybody happier. Cause you can then go on to create more new, better things. I don't see any harm in a lot of like, I think a lot of the criticisms coming or not criticisms, but the, the argument, the argument, the defense is don't make a creator change their vision. And like I kind of already said before, I don't think it's anyone's vision to exclude people to mm-hmm. be and so and in the sense of like an ableist way. Um, and yeah, I also think that when you say that it sort of infers that there's only one way to experience a piece of art and there's only one true interpretation of it and i think that is inherently wrong yeah it's a fascinating conversation and so many people are getting so upset over it i think their perspective is if you've beaten a from software game if you've done the all of the demons and the bloodborns and the sekiros and blah blah blahs that you know you talk to someone you're like did you beat that game yeah i beat it did you beat it Oh yeah, we're on the same page now. Woo! Sure, it's sort of like a badge of honor for them. No, but I but- don't right, but I agree with you. You don't have to create the vision. I mean, and this is coming from two people who don't have any accessibility issues. You know, when sure, it comes yeah, of to course, yeah. playing games. You know, I just want maybe uh, you know less damage dealt to me, or maybe more health or something. And I don't understand what that would take away from other players i guess it's i don't understand why other players would care if that's what it takes for me to give money to the studio that you love and appreciate so much you're you know when you say don't you know don't don't make it any easier or don't add in an easier option you you know for a lot of people are turned off because you see the tweets you see the oh i yelled at this game and it's so frustrating but then you also see that but when i finally beat that boss it was so satisfying yeah and it's like, I want to, I want to experience that myself, but do I want to pay $60 for an experience that I know I'm probably going to get real frustrated at and walk away? You know, I, I there's, anyway, I'm, no, yeah. but it's, it's an actually interesting, it is an interesting point because I don't remember whose Twitter I saw this on. So apologies. I think it was a reporter. I could be mistaken, but they basically were like, actually the point of any from software game is not that it's just hard for the sake of being hard. What it is, is they wanted to capture that feeling of perseverance and reward for like trying and trying and trying again mm-hmm. and, and getting it. And like that feeling that you get when you finally have accomplished this thing you've been working toward. Yeah. And that is the inherent 
that's the, that's the base of the game. However, right. to say that that can only be achieved through this one method doesn't make a lot of sense. It it, it you can achieve that multiple ways, and you especially yeah, and can achieve that multiple vary. ways. Um, when we're talking about accessibility for you know people who can't see or can't hear quite well, whatever, like whatever your issue is, like there should be different ways where you can get that a similar feeling and um, you know still appreciate the thing that is being put in front of you. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I'd be, I would be I would love to have a discussion with someone who you know is I don't I don't want to piss off anyone who's level minded and it isn't saying this game needs to be the same or it needs to retain the difficulty just for the sake of it. I'd like to know why is it so important to you? It's to gatekeeping. Close- yeah, but, but it's gatekeeping again, like- and it's gatekeeping through the lens of creative license that they're using it. So like, the, like that's the weapon, right? Is like, mm-hmm. no, let the creators create what they want to. And Yes, of course. I don't think anyone is is saying otherwise. Yeah. But what we're trying to say is creators maybe think about how other people who maybe are different than you can also have a similar experience. We're basically just asking for expanded minds. And yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And there's also nothing wrong if some from software is like, no. We're, yeah. Like, we're going to just, you know. We hear you, but we, for whatever reason, don't feel like doing that. Okay. Yeah. Like we, won't, we won't buy or play your game. That's fine. Like, no harm, no foul. Whatever. And I'm assuming there hasn't been a statement from them put out. But, you know, they yeah. have made a lot of games, mm-hmm. and they haven't added that difficulty yet. So it's kind of obvious at this point that it's not really a priority. And, hey, that's their vision. Like, that's fine. I think the issue comes in when we talk about the potential for something easier, like, and then everyone's like, "No, it'd be terrible and awful." It's like, well, yeah. let's talk about and it. And again, and those anyway. are those are the same. I mean, they might not be the exact same people, but there are things that exist to make these games easier already. You go to this corner, you spam this thing, you do whatever. They already exist. Listen, we all just need to bring back the game shark. <laughs> or like, play. or like game the game, Genie. the game, uh, the game hint hotline, like where you bet. Oh pay. yeah. 25 you cents know, an hour baby you know i never used those i never I always, did either because my parents would have straight up murdered me oh no and we, you and i've been here today and i've been really sad about it well i am happy that you you know you made progress you did you did you finish celeste not quite i think i have like okay. one or two more areas look at you yeah finishing these games left and right i know man it's crazy who am you, i you stud muffin um i am still well okay I'm I'm becoming less obsessed with my time at Porsche. I'm still you weren't you weren't here the last time I talked about this, were you? No, you. I were, know a little bit about it from okay. just talking. I think maybe it was at PAX you were talking about it, but yeah, yeah. So I won't recap it because you know I talked about it last week. But um, I the more I'm playing this game, the more I'm noticing that. And again, I'm still not technically allowed to review it. I'm only previewing it and can't review it until the 16th. But sure. anyway, um. The more I'm noticing that it needs some polish and some work. I mean, I've talked about the loading screens and how they can be really annoying. But, hey, like, I'll take a semi-long loading screen if I'm enjoying the hell out of this game. No problem. There's still tons to do. Lots of characters. But, like, an instance, at this point, this was the moment where I was like, okay, maybe I can just sit this down for a couple days. I was at a festival because there are festivals in this game. 
And I thought you went in real life. I was oh, like, when no. did you go to a festival? I mean, Portia kind of is my real life now. It's fine. And it was a fall festival, and there are, I don't know, like 50 characters in this game. There's a lot, which is really exciting because I, I love that. And I love building relationships with the characters and making them liking me by giving them objects and seeing what new things they have to say. Do you hold the thing over your head like in Sturdy Valley where you're just holding a giant-ass carrot and then you throw no, it? No, you actually like hold it in your hand oh. depending on what it is. It actually makes sense. Which is like I kind of cool. liked the ridiculousness of holding the present above my head. Over your head, like a like giant secure. egg that, if in yeah. real life it were to scale, would be the size of my the size head. of your head. <laughs> so good. And I was at the festival, and I'm talking to people there. And I talked to oh god, Alice. She's she does flowers. She sells flowers. Of course she does. And yeah, and she's like, "Hi, have you seen my flowers today? They're really fresh, and they're right here." And I'm like, no, bitch, you are not at your flowers. You are literally like right here at this festival. And even I think about Story of Season games or even other games along this line, Stardew Valley, where the characters have specific lines of dialogue for the festival they're at. Yeah. It just helps with that immersion. And then I would talk to the mayor. Like how no one frankly, wants to dance with you in Stardew Valley? Yeah. You know, it's just like at least they, at least they're not talking about their flowers that aren't there. Yeah. And then true. I talked to the, the mayor and he's like, Oh, my daughter Ginger is waiting for me at home. I need to get to her after work. And like you say this literally every day I see you, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. And so I'm seeing some instances of this where it's just like, I, I feel like I'm talking to these characters. I'm building these relationships, but I'm not getting any feedback in terms of like positive feedback or reinforcement i guess is what you would say and in a game like this that's really really important because those characters are what makes this game so these kind of games so interesting you know getting to know that who you're going to marry blah 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 anyway i'm still having fun with it but i'm starting to get to that point where i'm like okay i can look for the next thing and you know it was a really hot fast burn and i would still recommend so far you know keeping an eye on it there might be some patches coming out that might fix some of these issues um but yeah I'm st- I'll probably continue to play it, and who knows? I might just be talking on my ass. But anyway, the other game I've been playing is Yoshi's Crafted World. Is it as cute as I think it is? It's really fucking cute. And talking about baby-ass baby mode, this is like the ultimate baby-ass baby mode. I'm on the normal mode. Mm-hmm. It's like you you don't die in this game at all. You fall. Sounds even if you're wonderful. Playing co- <laughs> yeah. You just fall off a cliff. You just get like reemerged as a big egg with wings, and you hover around, and then like your partner. Is there a harder mode? No, I'm. This is it. Okay. Yeah. And Wait, there's, there's an a, easier mode. <laughs> yes. What does, what does e- the easier mode do? I don't even know. I can't. I truly can't even. Maybe you have I more mean, health. It's probably. I mean, kids. Like to be honest. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I they need like, a bit more help. I mean, yeah. I mean, this one is like entry level, but yeah, maybe people need more help with it. Um. Yeah. So it's really fucking cute. It's really charming. It is a little frustrating to play with another person because I feel like the levels weren't designed with two people in mind mm. because there are instances where, okay, so there's a few quirks to this that make it kind of annoying. For one, if you jump like by your partner, your Yoshi automatically sits on your partner's back. Okay. And when that happens, if, okay, so let's say like Simer's Yoshi and I'm a Yoshi. We're Yoshis. Woohoo. And the Simer double jumps, Yoshi. Yeah. I have five eggs. Simon has five eggs. It's wonderful. She hops on my back. I cannot use my eggs now. Like, What do you I, mean? I, As like, like ammo? Yeah. So, okay. I should probably back up. So if you've played a Yoshi game before, you know, like Yoshi's Story was my first foray into these games on Super Nintendo. Oh, Yoshi's Island. Excuse me. And yeah, you have eggs and then you chuck them and it's like ammo. And then you have this like little thing. You get an aim. Is it like Birdo? 
Kind of. Or you're not shooting it out of your mouth. You're chucking it with your arm. Oh. Little baby Yoshi arms? Baby Yoshi arms, yeah. Or unless it's his tail, but I feel like it would be his arm. I haven't really paid attention, but I'm assuming, because he's not doing it with his butt or his mouth, so I'm assuming it's an arm. (laughs) (laughs) So, and what's... What's cool about this one is that you can throw it, you know, it's 3D in a sense that you can throw it toward the camera or away from the camera or on the level middle plane that Yoshi's walking on. Okay. Okay, so what happens if someone hops on you, you cannot access your eggs. And in frantic, hectic moments, if you're, like, getting ready to aim or throw something and someone hops on you, it cancels out the movement. Well, then you might say, well, just avoid hopping on each other. It's almost impossible to do. And I was reading some other reviews and people also talked about this because – the platforms, again, aren't necessarily made for two people. And sure. so you're constantly, like, hopping on each other. And not only that, when you do the Yoshi thing and you stick your big old sticky tongue out and you try to eat something, if you swallow your partner, your partner loses all of their eggs. And now you Even can, when you now, spit them back out? When you spit you, them back do out. Do you absorb them? You absorb it. You absorb. Okay, so it happens, like, if you stick... <laughs> I'm not going to say it. If you I almost eat your there. partner in a wink. If you... If you eat your partner, their eggs will become anyone's eggs and they become little objects on the platform where anyone can run into and pick them up. Okay. If that makes any sense. Sure. So, but most of the time when you're like sticking your tongue out furiously trying to eat all the enemies around you, chances are you're going to accidentally eat your partner and then you're going to run into their eggs and then you spit your partner back out. Now they don't have any eggs. It's a fucking weird. So. Man. <laughs> I'm wondering what the design purpose of jumping on each other's backs is. Is it supposed to have been if your kid was having... Here's the part that confuses me. If you're like, hey, kid, you're having trouble. Hop on my back. But now they're the only one who can shoot anything because they're the only one with access to eggs. And shooting things would be harder to do than to run on a platform. Yeah. So that that doesn't make any sense to me. And then... The eating each other doesn't really make any sense to me that they even programmed that into the game. Well, I think it's in there because then you can spit your partner out and then it acts as a wet, as a missile or as an egg. I'm sorry. You can destroy oh, enemies okay. by that. But but I wish you could turn those options off because, I mean, Jason and I play a lot of co-op games together. But I will say he's better at some games. I am really good at these like little platformers. And granted, that's not saying a lot. It's when you're talking about Yoshi's Crafted World. But hey, I like to just zip through them real quick. I don't really care too much about the collectibles, which we'll talk about in a second. I just kind of want to like go from point A to point B, next level. Thank you very much. Wham, and, bam, thank you, ma'am. Yeah, and uh you know, he'll tend to be kind of like careless, and he'll like, I was going to say, ah, fuck it, who cares? He'll like eat me, and then he'll like spit me out. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then I get mad, or then he'll hop on my back, or I'll hop on his back, and then it's frustrating, and I get mad and frustrated at him, and I call him names. It's all out of love, though. So, okay, that's my experience as a disgruntled 30-year-old. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you have children, this will be a very fun game. You can take it very slow. You don't have to zip through it like I do. But just be aware that that's, like, kind of an annoying thing. But, yeah, it's so fucking cute, and it's so charming. And it's just a feel-good, easy-ass game that if you're like, I want to pick something up, I can only do maybe, like, there's 40 levels total, and then I think you unlock a few extra at the end. I can do maybe, like, seven or eight at a time, and then I'm like, max. I'm like, okay, this is fun. I've had enough. And then by the next night, I'm ready to hop back into it and see how cute and charming, what what do they come up with next kind of thing. Sure. And so there's collectibles. You have the smiley, the smiley flowers that you get. And you have to turn like 10 to 15 in every time you want to advance to a new section of the map. So you have to collect those. There's red coins you have to collect. 
there um you can do each level backwards i think it's each level or most levels backwards trying to find the three poochies which are the dogs yeah they're really cute and so it's really fun to play the game in the back in the backwards mode or behind everything because it's all cardboard and you see all the tape and how the cardboard's made it's just so fucking cute and that's why i can't be mad at it i'm just like it's too cute anyway If you have kids or if you have someone who casual platformer loves Yoshi, definitely check it out. There's a demo available on the Switch shop. So try that first. Go eat each other. Wink. Go eat each other and spit each other out and get all them eggs, girl. Yeah, get them eggs. (laughs) So fucking weird. I never, I didn't realize how weird this would sound to actually describe, but. Yeah, you know, out of context things are always interesting. We got through it. Okay. So. The last game we want to talk about is Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So at PAX East, Steimer and I sat down with Jason. I'm going to fuck your name up, Jason. Dosois. 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 Who knows? Dosois. I, don't, I don't know. He, he's the narrative director, a very, very, very kind man. And we got to do two challenge tombs together. So the first one was from the DLC 6 called The Grand Cayman, which is available now. And then the next one was from DLC 7 called The Path Home, which is coming out April 19th. So The Grand Cayman, here's the description. Go toe-to-toe with an angry god. In order to protect the San Juan villagers from the aggression of Trinity, Lara Croft must hunt the mercenaries off their chosen turf, face the towering wrath of a volcanic new challenge tomb, and survive the lethal surprise concealed within. So we did the challenge tombs together. Yes. We did them co-op. They we did them great. co-op. We did. So there's exploration mode, but what was the name of the mode we, we did? We did. We collect the... Oh, my God. Collect the shinies time. It was, no, it was ti- it's like a timed or ranked mode. I don't remember exactly exactly what the title is, but yeah, essentially what it means is in, in exploration mode you can kind of like take your time, look around, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, in this other mode that I'm just gonna call ranked because I don't quite remember it, is you have shiny orbs basically throughout this entire level that slightly direct you in where you need to go, and also. Um, as you collect the orbs, they give you points. If you, in at least one of them, I don't know if it was in both, because neither of us did it, um, you can, like, shoot lanterns that are in there, which then give you, like, a multiplier, and basically you're supposed to rack up as many points as possible and be big boy on campus sort of a thing. Yeah, um, in the leaderboards. Yeah. So it's, like, more of a leaderboard mode, but the benefit of doing it and why we did it is, even though that's not normally the way either of us would really play this, is because it would help guide you through the level and like sort of show you where you needed to go. Um, and in some cases it shows you, uh, or you can kind of get hints of like off path sort of ways you mm. can go. So shortcuts, there was this one part. This may have been oh, in the, yeah. this may have been in the second. I don't remember which one this was in. No, honestly. I think it was in this one because the fire. There's yeah. The fire. fire. There was a lot of fire and, and like it's all timed and you're supposed to run through it. But halfway through running through it, there was a thing off to the side, and I saw it, and I was like, screw this, and I went off and, like, YOLO'd onto the uh, zip line. The, the zip line. Yeah, so Challenge Tomb, I talked about, I did the first one with Jason, I was at last year. So you, obviously, you're Laura Croft, and then your partner's also Laura Croft, but on your screen, they appear as, oh god, what's her name? It's been a long time since Other chick. The other girl. Yeah. Uh, badass girl. Anyway. You have to work cooperatively to solve puzzles, to run through the tombs. Like Sam was saying, there's branching paths. There's no, like, one way to do this. The thing that she was just talking about was this, like, uh, corridor of 
flames and fire that would come out. You know, it was on a timed thing, so you had to make sure you timed it just right. Otherwise, you would turn into what we call her Laura Crisp. Or yes, something. Laura Crisp. Laura- Laura Crisp. So, you know, you have time, things like that. You have other things where you have to jump on platforms and then shoot the rope. And then you have to shimmy on the ledges. So it's your typical Tomb Raider platforming, I guess, is how you could describe it. But yeah. So if one of you dies, though, yeah. both of you have you to both, Yeah, you both sort of. That was sort of annoying. Granted, neither of us are terrible at the game, so it was fine. But there was definitely a couple parts where we both were like, ah, fuck, whoops. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, because there, you know, there is a jump in particular that I can think of. This may have been from the Path Home DLC when you are discovering the ultimate secret of the Yak- Yaxel. Is that how you say mm-hmm. it? Yeah, in the aftermath of the final battle, Laura Croft must track down her missing allies, through ancient tunnels, and the, the, there's another challenge too. And in that one, there's a jump that you have to make, and Steimer made it. Um, oh yeah, the first like two it times. Was, it's like a jump, and then you have to like latch and then the swing grapple. and then jump. Yeah, the grapple jump. Yeah, so it was the thing where Steimer would make it, I wouldn't make it. I would make it, Steimer wouldn't make it. Yeah. And so you have to get your uh, timing down pat, but. You know, and we did have Jason sitting behind us, kind of guiding us and telling us what to do. But I do like the level of difficulty in the sense that, you you know, you can sit down. You got to look around a little bit. Okay, how do we figure this out? Work together. Um, and, you know, I understand in these demos you have to you have to get people moving. So, you know, before we really had a chance to, like, noodle things together for the most part, he would give us the uh, solution. But He'd give us a hint. He'd be like, maybe you should look yeah, at the, the statue. Um, so, and you're like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, the... DLC 6 was more, I would say, like, traditional platformy Laura Croft. And mm-hmm. DLC 7 um, was more puzzly, which yeah. I liked. We had that big It required statue. a lot of, like, coordination. coordination. Yeah, which was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed both of this. It was funny. We won. We walked in. He was Before you got there, they were like, have you played any of the DLC? And I was like, nope, but I beat the game. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Haven't, I did not play any of this stuff before. You know, I think like the, the biggest appeal is if you have, like you have Jason and you, not the same Jason, your husband Jason, um, who you like play co-op things with, but for the most mm-hmm. part I don't. And I think I see a lot of fun in this being like, oh, this is sort of my co-op Tomb Raider experience that I never really got to have in the main game. Um, so yeah, that's nice if you have a, a co-op buddy or somebody you yeah. want to play with. And it's online matchmaking. So, you know, and you know, like we were talking about earlier, the time thing or the, the score, whatever the name of that trial was where you collect the shinies and you have the multiplayer bonuses and stuff. You, you, the whole point is you, you play through these things. If you, if you're a speed runner, you know, you can go through this multiple times, learn all the paths and then really make your path efficient and, so, and optimize your time. So if you want to try to get those, you know, because our first time, I think we did real bad. But you know, well, what you, bad is relative. Of course. Well, I mean, we were slow, but, yes. but we of were course, slow, we get a lot of points. It out, yeah, yeah, because that was our first time going through. But if you're into that kind of stuff, there's a lot of replayability in the sense that you can figure out, you know, the most efficient path and get your name on the big boy leaderboards. Yes, if that's what you're into. But yeah, this is uh It was fun to play. Steimer and I did pretty good. I would say we communicated well. We only yelled at each other a few times. Yes. We sang songs. We did. We talked about how lava is good for the pores. Oh, that's right. Lava is good for the pores. We gave Laura some names like Laura Crisp because she got fried a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of lava in, in one of the levels. Yeah, the volcano one, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, 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 yeah. One. That, that was a uh, rip. A lot of rip. A lot of rip in pieces. But no, it was a really good time. And, you know, if you have a co-op partner, I would recommend checking them out. It was fun. Well, Simer. Yeah. I think 
We've talked about the buttload of news. We've talked, oh, and if you're wondering about our PAX East games that we played, we talked about those in the panel that again is, was uploaded earlier this week as a special episode. I got to go hands on with Divinity Fallen Heroes, which is oh my god, so good, but that game is not coming out for a very, very long time. So that sucks. Uh, Layers of Fear 2, I got to play Chernobyl Lights, Struggling, which is a really silly co-op physics game, and Dragon Quest Builders 2. And I've talked a little bit about those, I think, each during the panel. Yes. But if not, and you want to know about my thoughts and opinions, hit me up on Twitter, at BlondeNerd. Or if you want to tell Steimer how awesome she is, at Steimer on Twitter. Because I played nothing at PAX, so during that panel, I had nothing to contribute. I thought... Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you had played something. No. I, I oh. talked about Oxenfree for like a hot second. Oh, okay. On that that That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Anyway, again, huge thanks to everyone who came to PAX and supported us. If you're at a panel or a meetup or a D&D session, it was a really, really good time. We have a photo album on the Facebooks so if you want to see what it was like. And I think we have some actual professional photos coming in sometime soon. But who oh, knows? Really? Yeah. Look at us. Rat row. Look at us, big girl. Uh-oh. Big girls. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Or you want to go to GameStop TV and look at our faces on the TV. You can do that, too. All right, Simmer. I never know how to transition out of these episodes. So, well, wanna... I, th- I mean, I think we're done here. <laughs> we are, but like, how, how <laughs> do you like? How do you gracefully say like, okay, bye? I mean, I mean, this is the Steinbacher show, so we can do it however we want to do it, baby oh, girl. Do it. How we all do, do it, it? Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. That's a dirty song. Yes. Yeah, yes, I know. Yes, it is. That is um, a good song, though. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Thanks for listening. This is why Andrea <laughs> should never leave the show because she's way no. better at transitioning in and out of things. You know, I, yeah. I mean, we, our show has a certain charm. I'm it. okay with like segues, but for intros and exits, not so good. I mean, I could do the traditional like, well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the West Good Games podcast. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Brittany Brombacher and she's Christine Sammer and we'll see you next week. But well, that's boring. Oh my God, you fucking nailed it. You should have just but done that. That's fucking boring, though. I mean, sometimes life is boring, and that's okay. That's fine. Well, in any case, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, as always, for listening. And Andrea will be joining us for episode 100 next week. Holy shit. Holy shit. We're so old. Yeah, you probably should have mentioned that before. Whoops. Whoops. I forgot. We buried the lead. We're still dead for Impact and GDC. But yeah, everyone, again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with episode 100 next week. Peace out.